1: Hi there and welcome to Stock Loop a podcast brought to you by My Wall Street. I'm Mike and joining me on today's episode are Anne-Marie and Emmett from the My Wall Street Analyst team. Today we break down the blockbuster acquisition of the WWE by the Endeavor Group, which will be merging with the UFC to form the most testosterone-fueled business on Wall Street. Aside from the iron bars and choke slams, Emmett takes on Chinese electric vehicle maker Neo and we do a mini deep dive on the freelancer industry. Amory, Emmett, welcome to another episode of Stock Club. Emory, you're welcome back. Took two long weeks without oh. you. Me and Emmett were trying to hold up the fort.
2: It was only eight days. It just happened to be the two days that we record yeah. the podcast. It's, it's two podcasts,
1: and I'm, I'm kind of I've got a conspiracy theory that you made it an extra day just so you wouldn't have to come yeah. back and record. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yes, that's correct.
1: Um, I was just looking. Uh,
2: yeah, you miss us, Anne-Marie?
1: Like, yeah, I mean, we, it's
3: hard, I'm sure, to go through a week without doing a podcast. I can't imagine mm-hmm. what it's like. Literally, I can't.
2: <laughs>
1: Especially yeah. when you're around gallivanting around New York as well. I think it's all right.
2: Yeah, when Fair I was trade. sat on the Staten Island Ferry, I was like, do you know what would really make this? Would If I was recording a podcast right now. That, that would be my dream. <laughs>
3: Yeah. What was your best dining experience, Amory? Sorry, Mike. We gonna um, We're gonna have to nail our timing on the openers. Our <laughs> openers timing are awful, and let me get into stride. But anyway, talk to us, Amory. What was your best? dining
2: Uh, best dining experience. Um, I had Sri Lankan food on Staten Island, actually, and I'd never had Sri Lankan food before, and it was really good. Very, wow. very nice. I liked it a lot. Oh. Yeah, yeah, and you it just it's. One of my like friends knew of the restaurant and we were there and it was just so tiny, like literally only two tables in the whole place. And it was just this one lady running it. And she had all these like newspaper clippings framed up on the wall. And it was all the times that Anthony Bourdain had come to eat there. Um, so I felt I was in good hands. It was really good. Yeah. Wow. I have to look up the name wow. so we can plug. Yeah, it do share that.
3: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tweet that.
1: See, see if she wants to sponsor the pod.
2: <laughs> we can put it in I'll, we, I'll give it to you and you can put it in the notes of the of the podcast for people who are interested in stat management she floated like our
3: business it. talk to us what's its ticker symbol
2: <laughs> I don't think she's I don't think the two tables are enough to to get it to public company <laughs> status but maybe one day
1: oh, well just speaking of that did you see there was a deli in New Jersey that no one knew it was a public company and it was literally just like a bodega or something I think Matt Levine um, who writes for Bloomberg he got a little obsessed with it and it was like, I, it was listed at like a hundred million dollar company or something like what? that. And it was just like one deli. It
2: was like, single lo- single got, location?
1: Yeah, I think it was like high level fraud or something in the end. But like it was <laughs> unexplained for ages. It was just one deli in New Jersey. Wow. Um, before we get into this, did you see, uh, did you see what I sent into Slack today You no? Yeah, about oh, the, the
2: Forbes thirty under thirty.
1: <laughs> Forbes thirty under thirty have collectively raised five point three billion in funding. Uh, wow. The Forbes thirty under thirty have also been arrested for frauds and scams worth over
3: eighteen and a half billion. <laughs> 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 I didn't see that. That is wow. I mean, so would you wish <laughs> to be on that list? Is it well, you know what's what's worse I'm, being talked about or not talked about? That's true. That, that takes the all press
1: is good press to a new level. I think though. <laughs>
2: Emmett, the lesson there is not do you want to be talked about the lesson there is do you want to go to jail that is the lesson we're meant to be taking away yeah but i suppose when you're under 30 it's it's make it till you break it's fake it till you make it i suppose so the ultimate faking it is fraud
1: Mm. Mm. forbes is a bad track record though like it's all the front pages of sam bankman fried and elizabeth holmes and adam newman and it's like these lads can't catch a break
3: but I think a, a stint in jail in Ireland anyway brings shame on your home and your family and it's an embarrassment, etc. But I don't know, in America, is it a badge of honour? Is it a rite of passage? Is it totally accepted that you're going to know somebody who did a few nights inside a state penitentiary? Like, what's the culture like around jail, Anne-Marie, in America? <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> I don't know, because we what do have I like thinking? we do have those fu- like funny stories of... of some celebrities going to jail, like Martha Stewart very famously went to jail, or all of those celebrities that got caught up caught up in the varsity blues scandal where they had been bribing to get their children into college. Like a bunch of celebrities there, they went to prison for like two to three weeks. Like it wasn't a major thing. And that doesn't really seem to have tarnished them all that much. However, the that the the actress from Full House, she got kicked off of Full House and isn't allowed to appear on the Hallmark channel anymore, which I assume is the entirety of her career. So um it does seem to Im- it does seem to impact some people. It is interesting. Like if you are famous enough, you seem to be able to ride the wave. But uh, have we seen that successfully be done in the business world? I think like a good story to keep an eye on for that is Adam Newman because he's trying to do that um, real estate company at the minute, which is just absolutely mm. ludicrous considering the WeWork scandal. So um, yeah, I suppose like if he continues to be able to attract investor money maybe yeah going to jail doesn't have an impact on you if you're are seen as a multi-billionaire wonderkin but i think for the vast majority of the population going to jail is not what you want because uh you can't Mm. vote and you know there's well you can't like leave the state stuff like that you know
3: before you uh, can't vote ever again is that right yeah
2: Yeah, some states have laws that you yeah you you lose the right to vote oh that's a bit okay
1: we need to start the pod, but I want to tell one really bad joke first. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> a, guy, a guy is in an interview and he's like, oh, I'm really impressed by your CV, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you have a two-year gap here. What was going on? He's like, oh, I was in Yale. He's like, oh, wow, Yale. Really impressive. You got the job. Your man goes, thanks, man. I really needed this job. <laughs> <laughs> Didumch. <laughs> okay, yeah. before we get kicked <laughs> off, we'll start the actual podcast. And uh, this is an interesting one to start off. So the WWE has been in <clears throat> in the press a lot recently. It's been looking for a buyer. And after months of searching, it finally found one. That's a Endeavor Group, uh, the parent company of the UFC. It's not going to be an ordinary ac- acquisition. The WWE has agreed to merge with the UFC to form a new public company. No official name yet, but it's gonna trade under the ticker TKO. Um Amory, talk us through this deal.
2: Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely an interesting one. So Endeavor, um, which is this like massive entertainment agency conglomerate, will own a 51% 1% stake in this this new organization will be created, while WWE shareholders are going to have the remaining 49%. Um, according to the terms of the agreement, um, the deal is going to value the WWE at about $9.3 billion. And the UFC, which is currently owned entirely by Endeavor, will be valued at about $12.1 billion. Uh, That's not too bad. Uh, that's a pretty good uh, premium for the UFC which was only acquired a couple of years ago at much less than that. Um, The transaction is probably expected to close the second half of 2023. So far, the market seems pretty lukewarm on it. It's kind of hard to tell that, you know, that we haven't had a great week, so you know, you don't know what's just like regular jostling around and what's actually reactionary, but both WWE and Endeavor shares declined on the news, but not substantially, just anywhere between two and 5%. So not too bad. Um, interestingly, Ari Emanuel will act as the chief executive of both Endeavor and to the new company, while Vince McMahon will be the executive chairman and Endeavor president and COO Mark Shapiro will also work in the same roles at the new company. Um, it's interesting to see Ari Emanuel come on board. He's been quite a success story in this space for probably the last 20 to 25 years so will be interesting to see him um kind of fostering the wwe um bit of history in the wwe itself it was founded by vince uh mcmahon McMahonin? mcmahon mcmahon how do you pronounce it
1: clearly uh, not a fan yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> it was founded McMahon.
2: by his, It was founded by his dad um in the early 20th century and then he kind of made it into this incredible company that it is today uh he actually had to buy it from his dad in 1982 he didn't leave it to him which i thought was kind of funny um and he really has like made it into you know the place where hulk hogan is and dwayne the rock johnson and, and dave Batista and john cena and made this incredible empire but he is a bit kind of defamed now at this point because last year um it all came out that he had paid millions of dollars of company money to um, quiet some victims of sexual assault within the company. Um, and so he was pushed out. And then he, like, miraculously returned in January of this year. Um, so, yeah, it, kind of a weird situation has happened, but um, definitely an interesting turn uh, turn of tale for the WWE.
1: Yeah, there's a bit of a dark backstory there. Um, did you see the photos of Vince McMahon? Uh, I think it was on CNBC when they were announcing the deal, no?
2: No, oh, really? he
1: look. He looks like he showed up in disguise or something. <laughs> it's like he's like really bad dye job on the hair, and then this like really thin pencil mustache. Oh, oh no! It's you should look it up. It's very strange. But um, how do you, you guys know about, this
3: fella? Like, who is this guy? Did you both meet him? Vince McMahon. I don't
1: know who well, Vince McMahon is. WWE, WWF. I feel like I'm the only one who knows anything yeah. about the, the wrestling. Here. Hold on
3: a minute. Is he? The, is he the, like the host of WWE? So he was
1: no. the owner CEO, but he also like hmm. comes on, yeah, um, on the Did show. He, I've he seen was, him he in fought, SmackDown. Yeah, he, yeah, I've he seen fought him Donald Trump once, didn't he? Wasn't that fought a bot Don- one? He fought Donald Trump in a uh, loser shaves their head match. Oh,
2: uh, Okay yeah um, have i actually there's a few others hello case full of
3: mushrooms what is
2: that in here? <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: i feel like i'm the only
3: one going to be to this. Yeah. But,
1: Oh, okay ah, right so you guys know, you know all right finish it up No, <laughs> but um before we get into Vince McMahon i think you mentioned Ari Emanuel and yeah. i think this is a very interesting character he so, is uh, yeah. tell us more about him and is it true that uh Ari from Entourage is based off
2: it is, yeah. I saw that in my research. Um, it is based on him. He's the founder of Endeavor Talent, uh, which is now one of the most premier talent agencies in the world, particularly after it emerged with William Morrison back in 2009. William Morrison was long considered to be one of the premier agencies in Hollywood with like a lot of big-name talent. Uh, currently, he oversees the management of people like Oprah Winfrey, Martin Scorsese, Robert De Niro, and Adam Sandler. Like These are very, very famous people. Um, and They have hundreds of these type of celebrities, um, so we yeah, had quite a lucrative, um, deal on top of this, Emmanuel also serves as the co-CEO of IMG, which was purchased by Endeavor in 2013. Um, you may have heard of IMG be referenced on things like top model. It is a massive modeling agency, sports agency, and entertainment agency. Um, pretty much again, any like very famous model that you know has an IMG contract, um, it's kind of a great story though. Emmanuel started out in the mailroom of the CIA agency and then worked his way up and then decided to found his own agency Endeavor in 1995. Interestingly, one of Endeavor's first big clients was actually Vince McMahon. Uh, he signed with them in 1996, which is crazy, because at the time, the WWE was quite famous and he was making a big name for himself as his own kind of, you know, entertainer entity thing. Um, and a number of agencies were bidding, uh, to be his representation. So it's quite interesting to see him go with a smaller company. He's always said he's been very impressed with Ari Emanuel. Um, apparently, like, the executives have theoretically thrown around the idea of a wwe ufc combination for a while because they've maintained like stayed friends for several decades um but it really only became a possibility after mcmahon returned to wwe at the beginning of the year and announced that he was looking for a buyer um emmanuel's gone on record saying that that's when like he knew things were actually serious and this is something they could pursue um also was an interesting side note he's actually Ram emmanuel's brother do you guys remember Rahm Emanuel? He was a House Representatives member from Illinois. He was Obama's chief of staff, and he's now the United States ambassador to Japan. So, mm. like, very well-connected mm. family. Um, Anyway, uh, back to Ari. He is known for kind of being insatiable. He's always making deals. He's pushing into new avenues. He tried to IPO the company two years ago, but got upset when he couldn't get the valuation he wanted. So, that prompted him... To push Endeavor to buy out the rest of the UFC. At the time, they only owned 50.1%. And he said, listen, if we buy out the rest, we can increase our valuation. So they did that. Uh, prior to IPO, they bought out the rest of the UFC. And then he was able to get the valuation he wanted. And then they IPO'd uh, back in 2021. Um, overall, Emmanuel has plenty of experience across the entertainment board, from media rights to merchandise to talent management. Uh, he seems to definitely know what he's doing. He it was definitely instrumental in making the ufc into something that's far more revenue generating than it was 10 years ago um however this is the largest acquisition he's ever overseen or the company's ever undertaken so it's it'll definitely be interesting to see if like the live sports entertainment demand continues because that's definitely what they're kind of betting on at at this point with this acquisition
1: yeah and Mentioning the UFC, there I think that's a very interesting part of this story. It was bought in 2016 for about four billion. This yep. deal is going to value it at 12, so mm-hmm. tripled in the space of what seven years. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm interested to see. They kind of mentioned they would use the same playbook for the WWE and like what that means for the future of this company. The combined entity of the two.
2: Yeah. So Endeavor's president, whose name is Mark Shapiro, he basically said, must-watch TV is a rarity these days, and unicorns like the UFC and WWE will always be heavily in demand. Um, interestingly, something that caught my attention is that so the WWE currently streams on Peacock, which is NBC streaming service, um, but its streaming rights are going to be up for negotiation next year. Um, I'd say that's going to be huge. I'd say that they could they have the potential to generate billions of dollars simply off of streaming rights. The WWE seems to be in somewhat of a resurgence at the minute it does seem to be floating back into popular culture so this could be a really big make or break moment for the company um and ufc streaming rights is was really something that kind of pushed the company into modernity into um revenue generation again um so i'd see that as being key additionally um something we've been seeing kicked around a lot is the concept of profitability through reduced costs because obviously if the ufc and the we join together there's like lots of you know little things that can be you know Fees that can be reduced because, oh, the two entities can share resources. Um, that was actually something, again, that the UFC benefited from when it um, joined Endeavor. It saved $70 million. Um, it's being estimated right now, w 2 stands to save between 50 and $100 million through the deal. So, you know, small things like that actually do make a difference over time. Um and yeah, I think we will probably see them more effectively lean into like merchandising, social media, that type of thing. Uh, something I saw that came up was the idea that WWE has something like 100 million YouTube subscribers. Like they have a highly lucrative fan base. I don't think they're probably being effectively monetized. And I've seen the UFC be quite effectively monetized. It's very expensive to like get passes to watch those individual matches. So um, there's definitely potential here to be making more money. So it'll be interesting to see them apply the same rules.
3: Hmm. Mm, Who yeah, are the big names in both sports? Who, who's the big name in WWE? Is it still Randy Savage? Yeah. <laughs> Randy Macho Man <Matt> Savage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, I think it's, I actually, it's John Cena. John Cena.
1: John, Cena, There's a great stat about John Cena. He's holds the record for the most make a wish. Uh, wishes granted. So wow. yeah. obviously a very Respect. good guy.
2: We discussed um, that once before. I actually don't think he actively fights on the circuit all the time, though. Yeah. I think he comes in as a special guest because he's um, in a yeah. lot of movies. Same like The Rock comes back every once in a while. Rock, yeah. Um, John Batista, could... he comes back. But the big ones at the minute. You. Interestingly, you know Ronda Rousey, who used to fight in the UFC, yes, she's now fights she in over. the WWE. Yeah. What hold on a minute
3: UFC is the real deal this is where they actually hit each other hard and you tap out it's a it's Conor McGregor sport right yeah yeah yeah. so So there's two crossovers
1: uh Ronda Rousey and Brock Lesnar
3: Brock Lesnar Mm. yeah I've heard him Yeah. yeah so basically we might get some kind of super smackdown or whatever it's called with John Cena or The Rock and Conor McGregor and we will soon see a Hollywood actor's demise in a matter of seconds. I suppose.
2: <laughs> I mean, I do think that there is a natural other way. progression yeah, in in fighters. To be fair, to move from the UFC to WWE because, like, you are less at risk with WWE because it's like a stunt training. You know, it's a whole like it is meant to be faked. Yes, they do get injured. Um, but certainly less so than they would in a UFC fight, and so I feel like if you're a fighter who's considering retirement, like Ronda Rousey was, she already has all the training and the physicality of a fighter. So why would you not transition to the yeah. WWE yeah. where you could probably continue to make money for a couple of years, but you're not as at much physical risk?
1: Well, that's and, true, and the name and the kind of like talking, yeah, that's all smack WWE like, is, as well. but it's yeah. interesting not to nerd out too much that, like. College wrestling is kind of... College wrestling and Olympic wrestling are the pinnacles of amateur wrestling, which is the real deal. And forever, there was nowhere to go after that except into pro wrestling, really. And then MMA became this route that so many of them go now. Mm. So it, it's funny, like, there's a there's a lot of crossover there, more than you kind of realize, because, you know, Scotty Too Hotty does the worm around the ring and stuff <laughs> in the WWE, <laughs> yeah. like... But uh, no, it is. It's interesting. But before we get too excited about it, because there are a lot of like macho testosterone steroid joys to be made, um, there's quite a sinister style. I think they're both companies, it's just fair to say. Mm. Like the WWE's famously treated fighters very poorly. We mentioned Vince McMahon is currently being investigated over a number of hush payments around sexual misconduct. And then the UFC is also known for poor fighter pay and its president and frontman dana white was recently caught on camera slapping his wife in the face what? in a nightclub yeah. What? Yeah. yeah i think that was Ugh. only a couple of months ago so like, it's it's a very problematic combined entity and you can kind of pick out the good bits of it but mm. in terms of you know we always mention this investing moral compass this has to put the new company pretty low on the list surely
2: Yeah, ironically, it's it's like quite reminiscent of food delivery companies or Uber. Like they get away with treating their staff poorly because they're independent contractors. Like they in no way are like possessive of the fighters. You know, they don't provide them with any kind of insurance. Um, They don't like help them pay taxes or anything. And they're actually, particularly in the case of the WWE, they are historically not very well paid. Um, Which I know I just said, oh, they're at less physical risk than fighting in the UFC, but you you do still see reports of. I remember – I think it was John Oliver did a comprehensive report of WWE fighters and like they're still getting concussed multiple times a year. They still have the potential to blow out a joint. Like they still have all of this stuff going on and you would hope that they would have a comprehensive retirement, a medical package that would take care of them, but they don't. Um, mm. So, yeah, I think huge, there are issues.
1: Huge pressure around steroid use I think as well.
2: Yeah, mm. and, which mm. also puts your long-term health at risk. and then you know, maybe with the UFC, you could argue, oh, it's a little bit better because the fighters tend to go into, you know, like a six or a nine month training period. And then they go into one massive fight, which has the potential to give them a huge payday. But there are still so many risks. Like you can get injured in training. You can, you know, be horribly injured or die in a fight. Like there's just, you know, you just have very little assurance. And then, as you mentioned, the stuff around um, Vince and like Dana White, like those are risks. Like, what struck me the most is the fact that, like, this deal could only go through because Vince came back to the company in January. Like, it, that has been stated by multiple people within the company. But he is a definite risk because he's under a federal investigation. He just signed a two year contract. So he's not going anywhere for the, you know, foreseeable. Mm. And then I was then, very
1: surprised by that, that uh, Ari Emanuel didn't decide this was a good way of getting rid yeah. of him.
2: And I think, to be honest, like he gave an interview, R Emanuel did, where he was like, oh, I, I, I feel that he has been punished enough, which I kind of
1: Ugh.
2: don't really understand because, number one, he could still go to prison. And number two, like he has yet to prove that there is – that he personally or the company has put in any kind of infrastructure to protect staff from him in the future because he's proven over several decades that he has – like his predatory behavior in the workplace so you know mm-hmm. bringing him back is a, is a definite risk he, you open the company up to lawsuits you open up the you know they often credit him with being really important in the creative aspects of the wwe if he is this like necessary cog that you can't live without if he gets fired in six months does that threaten the future of the company i would say yes it does it also just i think people are, are better now at like holding not only individuals but companies to head when it comes to issues like this you know i would say there are some people who will probably be unimpressed to see this man allowed to return to the business like it's less than six months since he was let go you know that's not exactly a repentant period of time um so yeah i don't think it's smart to i don't know like it's it's certainly an investor risk i would say
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, not even letting them back but putting them beside someone who's also shown to be very problematic as well
2: yeah yeah it's yeah. yeah.
1: All the rest. Um, Moving on then, we have an interesting company up next. Emmett, you're looking into this. It's uh, the Chinese electric vehicle maker Neo. So the Chinese EV industry has long been seen as an area of huge potential. I think one in four cars in the region are now sold. One in four cars sold in the region are now electric. Um, Hmm. So Emmett, before we discuss Neo's performance, can you tell us about the business?
3: Yeah, for sure. So Neo is, as you said, a Chinese EV manufacturer and headquartered in Shanghai. And it was founded in 2014 by a guy called William Lee, who um, has since grown to become one of, you know, it's become one of the leading EV manufacturers in China. And its primary focus, Neo's primary focus is on high performance, uh, premium electric vehicles that offer cutting edge technology and I suppose, innovative design. Uh, Prior to 2014, Lee was the founder and the chairman of BitAuto Holdings Limited, which was a leading provider of internet content and marketing service for the automotive industry. So it wasn't, for me, an absolute direct link. So the the guy knew how to... market something but when you think about all the different skills required to go into an EV manufacturing process and to launch a brand it's absolutely massive and he's actually been recognized um in Chinese automotive industry and was named in Fortune China's 40 under 40 list I wonder (laughs) how much money he raised and how much time he did in jail I'm not Um, sure about that I know exactly but it's current lineup so NEO's has a lineup of cars and I think they look really nice Had a you know Google image the whole lot of them there's the ES8 which might be Emmett Savage 8 ES6 uh, the EC6 maybe Eric Clapton the ES uh, there's all these different cars they look nice and the ES8 is this full sized SUV that can seat seven passengers it looks like one of the modern uh, designs that you'd see from a a Western manufacturer it doesn't look altogether different from a Volkswagen Um, so it has has the EC uh, let me see what else oh it has some cool looking sports cars look sure it does every range of car you can imagine now all of neo's vehicles are powered as we said by electric motors and come equipped with uh something that i think is super cool which is a uh, battery swapping technology now this battery swapping technology for me is their standout innovation because what it does is it allows ev owners to exchange their depleted battery for a fully charged one in a matter of minutes, rather than waiting for it to charge, which is a multi-hour affair. Like if you're if you're stopping in Barack Obama Mall in the middle of Ireland, I can tell you one <laughs> thing: the time it takes to fill your car with petrol or gasoline versus the time it takes to charge your your battery is hours. You'll have basically tried everything in supermax if you're in an EV. By the way, I've just drifted into Irish speak. Everybody, there is an Irish place (laughs) called Barack Obama Mall in the middle of Ireland because that's where Barack Obama hailed from. And also it's a big gasoline station. Anyway, look, I'm (laughs) drifting. But anyway, so... (laughs) But you can spend
2: hours taking photos with the cardboard cutouts. This is (laughs) true, exactly, yeah. Yeah. But, you know,
3: this thing that Neo has come up with, I think is the supreme cure to range anxiety, which is the number one thing that stands in the way of somebody who has the budget to purchase a new car. Um, You know, these battery swapping stations uh, they kind of resemble a drive through car wash. And the process starts when the EV drives into the station, parks on a platform, this robotic arm removes the depleted battery from the vehicle, it replaces it with a fully charged one, and the whole process takes about three minutes, which is incomparably faster, really, than the time required to charge the battery. And by the way, their swapping technology also incorporates intelligent battery management software that monitors the performance of the battery and identifies any issues that need to be addressed and this this basically ensures that the batteries are always in good nick they're in good condition and they're performing optimally and if you've ever had a smartphone for more than like five years if you like you've like absolutely noticed that batteries deteriorate you know so you can Mm. imagine like you get a brand new iphone yeah
1: that's that's for other reasons as well apple are intentionally slowing well, them down
3: Well, it, it, that's a conversation yeah, no, you might be that's right that's another you might conversation be right. yeah i'd love to know if that's true because i i've run to a conclusion that that might be wrong which is you know my new iphone will last me 24 hours my five-year-old iphone will last me 12 hours but either way why i'm not too sure but i guess the tech that neo has is on top of that and and um and you you can just imagine the size of the battery elements inside an EV are, are hundreds, fold that of a of a mobile phone. Now the company also operates a network of char. Uh, uh, it operates its network of charging stations, and it also operates uh, these superchargers, which are quite like the Tesla superchargers. Um, so uh, for all of this, Neo has gained a lot of attention. It's received loads of accolades for its vehicles, and in twenty twenty one. Uh, I think it won. it won an award for the CSA. So that's the background to Neo.
1: That's great. The ba- battery swap and technology is really interesting. So that's like a mm.
3: drive in, drive out kind of deal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what that's it is. You mad. drive up and oh, it's really good. I mean, uh, in in our part of the world, in America and in Europe anyone who's thinking of buying an ev suddenly starts to consider well where am i going and will there be chargers there or en route and am i happy to stop en route for two three hours to top up so there's lots but if if we had a network of soup of uh, battery swap stations that were analogous or the same kind of footprint as a as a gasoline station or petrol station it, it you know suddenly your decision is made for yeah. you because even the superchargers
1: they're not they take like what, a half an hour at least is it yeah uh
3: i don't know i just don't yeah, know i mean they're we, not in ireland yet, ever, are they? uh there's there's actually a couple of them in ireland i think there's about three or four uh yeah. but I, i've never used one
1: yeah that would be my main drawback to evs at the minute it's not the cars mm. themselves but the infrastructure around it totally um, yeah totally yeah but uh so that's neo and its history well how about the business and the stock today how is it
3: going Right. So let me just describe Neo as it is today. Well, it's tickers NIO, which is no surprise. And its market cap, its the size of the business is about $16.4 billion. Uh, it's not profitable on a trading 12 month basis. Now, during the week, it reported pretty impressive growth. growth. It posted 34% increase in vehicle deliveries last year, last calendar year, and a 36% increase in revenues. So in numbers, that's uh, one hundred and twenty-two and a half thousand vehicles were delivered in twenty twenty-two. So one hundred twenty-two thousand vehicles, twenty twenty-two, are about one eighth of a million. It also posted a significant loss for the past year and is expected to post another big loss this year, like specifically loss from operations of two point three billion and a net loss of two point one billion. And the thing is, analysts expect the company to post a bigger negative number this year but nonetheless in China as you rightfully said Mike the market for EVs is projected to grow and it's projected to grow by 30% a year between now and 2028 which would explain why there's plenty of competition in the country from X-Bing and Li Auto and BYD which is uh, did Charlie Munger say was his all-time favorite investment I think so and then other global brands like Tesla and Porsche and Volkswagen and Ford so the EV race is on and it's huge and China is is a key battleground, I suppose you'd say for for the manufacturers.
1: Oh, absolutely! And then it's been—I'm surprised we've been talking about EV so long without mentioning Tesla. But I think you have to compare it to Tesla in some way, especially because Tesla has made such a hullabaloo about getting into mm-hmm. China, and that being it's one of its key markets. So, how does how does Neo stack up there?
3: Yeah, and that to me is that question. So, Neo delivered. 31,000 of its EVs in Q1 of this year, January, February, March, 31,000, which was at the low end of the range. It projected only, only a month ago. So it it hit its estimated within its range, but deliveries in Q1 were still down from 40,000. The prior quarter. So Q1, 31,000, the quarter before 40,000 Tesla, on the other hand, rolled out a record number of cars in the same period. Now I'm not talking about China, but I'll get there so um he and this is down to the fact that Tesla and Elon Musk decided to slash the prices of their vehicles by something between six percent and thirteen and a half percent. So Tesla delivered four hundred and twenty two thousand vehicles in the first three months. Of twenty, actually nearly 400, uh, 423,000 vehicles in the first three months of twenty twenty three, which is four percent up on the previous quarter. Unlike Neo, which was down in the previous quarter. Or to put it a different way, it delivered about thirteen x more vehicles in the quarter. And that's and what's really interesting is that it appears that a large percentage of deliveries came from vehicles produced in Tesla's Shanghai Gigafactory, and this. Uh, little price cut, if you like, has caused an absolute price war amongst competitors, which has resulted in an increase in sales of Tesla in China. Now, Tesla doesn't break down its delivery and its production numbers by region. However, there's other sources that allow you to infer that number and and there's a um a body called the China Passenger Car Association CPCA um and it according to them Tesla sold 140,000 China-made vehicles in January and February, the March numbers weren't available. So um, so when you just think about that, it had 140,000 vehicles in the first two months sold from the Chinese factory, which infers they were sold in China. And if Tesla's March deliveries match February's, it means that it would be about 50% of deliveries that were made by Tesla in Q1 came from Shanghai. So as much as Neo looks good, and it does look good. I mean, they've they've done something that looks good and very clever tech with the battery swapping. Um, I believe they're in a war with what I regard as the Apple of Cars, which is until of course Apple entered a car market, and then I better update that analogy.
1: Yeah. That's great. I'd be slightly worried about the dropping the prices, is the only thing. Do you think the EV space can get
3: busier and busier? Well, the one thing I would say about that, Mike, is that the one the, the thing that Tesla and indeed Elon Musk have an expertise expertise in is data, and there's no way that that price was dropped without some very rugged data about the the price excuse me price elasticity like how much more of the market were they going to grab by making that subtle enough change and I you would I presume they have the operational efficiencies or lead and EV manufacturing efficiencies based on the others so they could actually supply they could meet their demand so I I, I, I appreciate that dropping it in a range between you know whatever six and thirteen and a half percent might look, like it's, it's just a, a kicking the tires, so to speak, but I re I'm certain that this has been done with, with a, a stack of MBAs and data scientists who have nailed the right price for that market. And the numbers so far are speaking the truth.
1: Yeah. So more thought out than our 17% off for Paddy's day set anyways. <laughs> <laughs> um Okay. On that note, um, instead of our usual promo for Charging and Fearless, you should still sign up to Charging and Fearless. Uh, it is a very good email. Um, but instead of that, I'm asking you to respond to the poll we've included in this week's show notes. So we're re- researching ways to make Stock Club even more value for our loyal listeners. And you can help us by doing that by taking out two minutes of your day to fill in the survey linked in today's episode. Um, okay, so we are moving on to the freelancer industry. Now, this is an interesting Topic, And we're kind of going to do two elevator pitches, but both of very similar companies. Um So, Emmett, will you kick us off with the first?
3: Yeah, I'm going to go with Fiverr, which is an online marketplace that connects every size of business from, I suppose, sole traders through to, you know, multi 10,000 people with freelancers who can provide a range of of digital services that include like graphic design and copywriting and programming and all that kind of stuff. Um, The company's platform has something like 3 million active buyers and sellers, making it one of the largest freelance marketplaces in the world. And I, I was quite impressed by their investor relations numbers and deck. I, I guess they got someone on Fiverr to do it because it, it's very easy on the eye. Um, It'd be they, great if Fiverr had just like an awful <laughs> logo, like Times New Roman,
1: just a black on white or something.
3: Oh, that's right. So, I mean, they, they really do paint a picture of why the business has established a very impressive momentum, like the, the act of buyer's has increased from 2019 to 2022 by about 82% and the spend per buyer in the same time period is up about 53% and they have a lovely graph of revenue composition by annual cohort, which uh, it looks a little like the Sydney opera house, if you know the shape, the silhouette. So each year you add new, new customers and they spend, and then you keep mm-hmm. ones from last year. So it's this kind of, I suppose you'd call it seashell kind of shape. And it's, it's, it's a nice, it's a nice investors deck, uh, that really does show how their marketplace has scaled up significantly in the last few years and with their revenue. Um, it added about 100,000 active buyers in 2022 and I think it boosted the average spend per buyer by about 12%, so more people spending more. And then the take rate, which is Fiverr's cut of the payments for the services they offer, um, thanks to its, its tools, basically, increased from 28.4% to 30% and total sales jumped 13%. Adjusted earnings rose 18%. Everything looked good. And then just as I look at the graph here on, on Yahoo Finance in the heyday when all things were wonderful in summer of 2021, it was a $250 a share company. Today it's a $34 a share company. It's marketing <laughs> um, cap. I know, ouch. I know. It's really fallen. I mean, that's it's just part of the minus 90 percent club that so many uh businesses have have joined and um its market cap is about 1.3 billion dollars and needless to say it, it doesn't pay a dividend it doesn't have a p ratio because it's still figuring it but what i do like about the business what i most like the business like about the business is quarter in quarter out they're smashing analyst expectations they're um and and a quarter on quarter certainly over the last four quarters the business is getting Less lossy and is just moving now into positive earnings territory, so I think it's a nice business when you think it's in way better condition today than it was when it was uh two hundred and fifty bucks uh what two years ago, and yet it's down ninety percent so on the whole i I think Fiverr is a very attractive business and one that uh has done something difficult a double sided marketplace sounds easy. And you might say, well, there's no barriers to entry, but try doing it there. Actually, there's a lot of, uh, I suppose, invisible barriers to entry into that market uh, where you have to bring the right amount of people on both sides together at the right time.
1: Yeah, I think it definitely was one of those COVID mm-hmm. stocks everyone piled into. Uh, I also yeah. like the term less lossy, Emmett. Uh, I'm going to keep that one. <laughs> an Creative accounting.
3: Emmett. I should have worked for a WorldCom. We delighted yeah, to, to announce we're less lossy. okay uh amory you have a very similar
1: company but uh before you pitch the company do you want to just uh kind of repeat why we're doing the freelancer industry i suppose because i I think you raised the topic it's how we kind of ended up pitching these i think it's a very interesting point
2: yeah so i read a, a wall street journal article during the week um that talked about how managers have become restless with the work from home trend it seems that um at least with the interviews that they had within this article, a number of managers are blaming employees working from home unsupervised for the current slowdown and regression and growth that many tech companies are facing. Um, I would view that as pretty unfair because it's a it's a pretty harsh macroeconomic environment at the minute. I don't think your employees working from home is the reason why you're losing sales. Um, but consequently, we're beginning to see a drop in remote uh, open positions. So LinkedIn reported that only 12% of job listings on its platform are currently remote, which is down from 20 20- this time last year, um, that is pretty unfortunate because remote jobs are more popular than ever before. With individuals looking for flexibility and in the, in the ability to stay home, um, and that means that the for many. If they work in certain fields, the idea of being a freelancer is becoming more and more appealing. Um, on top of that, more and more companies seem comfortable hiring freelancers because, as we have just all witnessed over the last six months, tech companies laid off a tremendous number of people, which means they're now being very hesitant with hiring. They're saying, hey, like, do we need a full-time person to come in and do this? And that has meant more and more like, large corporations, enterprises are saying, hey, like, we will very happily bring someone in from Fiverr or Upwork to do work for a couple months. And then we don't have, you know, we don't have to lay them off. They'll just float away. Um, that means that work for freelancers or like contract workers has increased four times as fast um, as regular job postings have in the last year. So this is definitely a, a market that is booming on both sides. People want these jobs, but also companies are willing to pay for these jobs. And, um, you know, large companies, this is not like just a small business that needs someone for a couple of days. You know, these are this is sometimes a massive organization. Um, and so that led me to look at Upwork. Um, it's definitely like the market leader in the, in the freelance platform markets. The company has Close to double the revenue of its closest competitor, which is Fiverr. Um, so for this year, Upwork brought in about $618 million compared to $337 million from Fiverr. Um, currently, has a market cap of $1.4 billion. It's down 55% this year. So it also has had a massive haircut. And its current price to sales ratio is 2.4, um, which is pretty good, I would actually say. Um, the kind of overall gig economy is forecast to grow at about a 15% compound annual growth rate, so that's the CAGR, um, with an estimated value of $12 billion by twenty twenty. So we're very much still in the like expansion part of this, um, story. Um, Upwork for the year reported pretty strong uh, financials and for the fourth quarter, so its revenue was $161 million, which beat analyst forecasts by about $2 million, and that is an increase of 18% year over year. Um, Their growth rate is slowing down in comparison to 2021 or 2020. However, they are kind of returning to the normalized growth rate that they would have experienced in about 2019, so pre-pandemic, where they were hitting just about below 20% year over year. So I'm quite comfortable with this growth rate. It seems like something they can maintain. Um, Taking a step back, their gross service volume, which is kind of like the gross merchandise volume version for for uh, this type of platform, um, increased 16% year over year. So they do have you know a consistent number of orders coming through. Uh, interestingly, just based upon what um, Emmett said, there with Fiverr's take rate being quite high, that's quite a high take rate that's because up
1: really high to me if I was yeah Upwork's is, is a flat
2: fee of, of 15%. So I would wonder if in terms of a competitive advantage, you know, are more serious, consistent freelancers, would they – pick Upwork over Fiverr because they're going to lose less of their income to the platform. So I'm wondering, is that a bit of a competitive edge there? Um, Most important kind of for my introductory story where I was saying, hey, like this is no longer small businesses looking for freelancers. This is major companies. Upwork seems to be aware of this um, because they've recently released an advanced enterprise platform, which is targeted at these people. It has specific features that you pay extra for. You know, it's um, you get more detailed, comprehensive reports on the freelancers, you know, you get some Additional support as they work, um, and you get flexible approval of workflows. Um, for the last quarter, revenue from this enterprise segment increased 22% year over year, but it's still only $12 million, um, which only currently represents about 8% of their total revenue. But I would be very interested in keeping an eye on this segment in the kind of coming years to see how it expands out because. I do think having this type of dedicated specific product is going to be quite interesting Um, as we continue to kind of navigate a harsh macroeconomic environment where hiring has been significantly restricted. Um, Moving on to profitability, the company reported earnings per share of negative 13 cents, which did surpass analyst forecasts of negative six cents. Um, Hold on. Oh, sorry. Surpass it by six cents. There we go. I was going to say negative 13 is not better than (laughs) (laughs) negative six. no. Um and it also had it's net loss improved from negative twenty-two million for Q four of twenty twenty-one to negative sixteen point five million for Q four of twenty twenty-two. Um in terms of profitability, I think we're gonna continue to move in a positive, profitable direction. They were able to announce that their R and D expenses are expected to fall between fifteen and twenty percent of revenue, down from twenty-one percent of revenue for full year twenty twenty-two. It's um uh, marketing expenses are forecast to fall in between twenty to twenty-five percent, which is down from thirty-seven percent. Um in, in 2022, I was quite impressed with this in particular because, um, Upwork is able to generate the vast majority of its discovery, which is, you know, like when someone's like, oh, I need a freelancer. They, um, they're they able to get that. 77% of that comes from direct searches. So Upwork clearly has the brand recognition now that people say, when I need a freelancer, just go to upwork.com. You know, they don't even have to Google. It's just instinctual. So I really like seeing that. That bodes well for being able to reduce marketing expense further down the line. And then the company also forecast G&A expenses to fall between about 8 and 10% uh, for next year. So overall, I was, quite impressed with this it's growing steadily it's moving towards profitability it seems to be working well um yeah i liked upwork i thought it was quite an interesting proposition particularly at its current valuation it's it's down substantially so yeah
1: yeah i uh, i think upwork is kind of trying to make or maybe it has made that distinction of more contract mm-hmm. workers rather than you know you go to fiverr to make a logo which yeah. is kind of the origins of Fiverr. Every, every job was just a Fiverr. You spent five bucks and you got a logo done or, you know, a quick block piece or whatever. So yeah, yeah it's interesting. I th- I think I-, I like what you're saying about the trends towards the freelance industry. I think there's a lot of potential there.
2: Definitely. Yeah. And I think it's, it's definitely, it's going to be, you have to be attractive on both sides you know, you have to have the best freelancers, but you also have to have, you know, the best positioning with clients, you know, to bring them in. So, um, yeah, I'm quite impressed with Upwork. I'm very interested in the enterprise product. Um, yeah, but definitely want to keep an eye on.
1: Yeah, for sure. Emma, what's your thoughts on the freelancer industry overall?
3: Um, yeah, I think the last five years we've seen more discombobulation in traditional working methods than in the 100 years before it. And I think it's going to be particularly um, expedited now in the adv- advent of ChatGPT and the kind of new incarnations and new products that are going to derive from let's just call a retail AI, but AI for anyone, plug-in AI. So we think of working from anywhere with with AI assisted um capability and then freelancers that can deliver something, the kind of the formula for building information businesses has just fundamentally changed, and uh and I I do think we've my Wall Street's used. I'm pretty certain both Upwork and Fiverr. Uh, I can't speak Fiverr to Fiverr, the- anyways. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I can't speak to the customer experience. uh I think I used Upwork once, and I I, I yeah, I was fine. It was okay, but uh yeah, I just think that the entire it is one of the pieces of the jigsaw that allows people to conceive a business. And do it on a shoestring budget that even just five years ago would have been just not possible. So I I, I do buy into the fact that um it's it's a growth industry, and then people on the other side, the suppliers of the of the skills, can go work from wherever they wish. Right, Mike? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's it. That's it. He calls in from Italy. <laughs> go wherever um, you
1: want. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm really I'm waiting for that uh, one man unicorn business. Where it's just yeah. one person, they freelance everything, they use AI, blah, blah, blah. And I've managed to make a business worth, a huge business with literally one person.
3: That's a very, very interesting important. one. Oh, I think you're right. So I, yeah. I think we will see a one person billion dollar enterprise. Yeah,
2: It'll probably be like you build a personal brand that people want to be associated with. So you can say, oh, so-and-so worked on this project. Like so-and-so did our our branding. I'd say that mm. will be... The key thing is, is having the, the rec- like, it's beneficial to have that person have touched your mm-hmm. product or your business in some way. Yeah. yeah.
1: That's a bet. All right. We'll leave it there. So let's, thanks very much for joining me and thanks very much for listening. Remember, if you have any questions you'd like answered or elevator pitches you'd like us to tackle, make sure to get in touch. You can find us on Twitter at MyWallStreetHQ, on TikTok at MyWallStreet, or simply just email us at pod at MyWallStreet.com. If you're enjoying the show make sure to tell your friends about us and leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on also make sure to fill in the form we've included in today's show notes thanks for joining us and we'll talk to you next week